0: Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
1: There is a place just for you. A place that embraces the promise of a warm spring night and a reminder to hurry home on a cool autumn evening. It is a place that exists above and below. Where the surreal and sublime dance cheek to cheek. This is a place just for you to sit back and enjoy. Beautiful tales for the disenchanted. Our tale tonight is entitled... The Ultimate, Chapter 16. In the cafe, Miles Davis' So What provides an incongruous soundtrack to the images that flash on the flat screen TV. Hurricanes tearing apart one city, fires raging out of control in another, famine, disease, despair, countries declaring they have the bomb and they're not afraid to use it, children starving, animals driven to extinction. As the world burns, stupid men and stupid suits fiddle. It's almost enough to make Robert wish he hadn't sucked down that fatty. Throughout the cafe, people sneeze and cough, a young boy grumbles to his stressed-out mum while she attempts to slam down her food between her wine and his wines. Condensation forms on the windows where the heat in the room meets the cold window, tear streaks dripping down onto the floor. From over in the corner comes the sound of coffees being made, the sharp sound of cups on saucers, and the waitstaff delivering one hot cup of joe after another to the cold patrons. Robert finds it easier to concentrate on his surroundings than look at Nico. He can't believe how round his old bandmate has become. Nico's shaved head continues to steam after he discards his black beanie, and Robert can't help but think he looks like anger from the movie Inside Out. Meanwhile, the skin around Nico's cheeks and jaw sag no longer clinging to the bones like they once did. His pale skin suggests a lack of sunlight, but with the way the weather is of late, Nico could be a regular Melbourneite. Even his eyes have begun to sink into his face, and when he smiles, he smiles in a way that doesn't seem right. New teeth, perhaps? Maybe he doesn't really want to smile. That's it. He's smiling now and again to make this lunch appear convivial, but with those eyes, he looks more like a shark, sensing an unsuspecting meal paddling in the ocean. Robert is also obsessed with Nico's shirt, a dark blue number covered in white and lilac roses that bunches around his pudgy stomach. Nico looks terrible. It is also the best Nico has looked in a long time. This fucking city, says Nick, smiling that new strange smile of his. You used to love it here. Nico looks over each of his shoulders at the people in the cafe like he's expecting a hit at any moment. Yeah, I did, he agrees. I should never have moved back to Adelaide. Come on, it was a good move for the kids, says Robert. He pauses for a moment before adding, have you seen them recently? Nick rubs his meaty hands over his face and the top of his head. Every second weekend. Riley's good. He's in a band. Robert smiles. Really? What's he playing? Nico looks around the cafe again, uncertain jittery. How long does it take to get a coffee in this place? Settle, mate, Robert says. It will be here before you know it. Nico looks back at Robert and raises his eyebrows. It's a look Robert has seen many times in his life, usually followed by an argument. It's the look that says, don't tell me how to feel. Nico sighs and settles back. He's gearing up for something. Does he want to have an argument? Possibly. Not yet, though. Robert can feel him brewing up to it. Guitar. Riley plays guitar. What type of music is he playing? I don't know, says Nico. He won't let me see him play. Reckons I'll hate it. Knowing Nico, that's probably a correct assessment from his son. Nico was always the guy who couldn't enjoy another person's success. He never understood that if everyone was successful, then it was good for the scene. His inability to enjoy another person's success was one of the reasons Robert had to break up the band, amongst other things. And what about Katie? A young waitress delivers the coffees to the table. She's tall but gawky, all arms and legs. She smiles nervously, slightly spilling Robert's long black in the process. She attempts to apologise, but Robert waves her off, telling her that it's fine. She looks like a giraffe, says Nico. She's a kid. Nico takes a sip of his latte and wrinkles up his nose. He grabs two sachets of sugar and pours them in, spilling some of the contents onto the black table. He methodically stirs the latte with a teaspoon. He pulls it out and leaves it on the side of the saucer, covered in tan and white foam. He flicks the sugar granules with the back of his hand onto the floor and sits back. I don't really see Katie. She doesn't accept. She doesn't like Jasmine much. At all, really. Robert works furiously on his stone countenance so he doesn't flinch. He can't cope with Jasmine. Not the girl, but the spelling of her name. Robert only met her once and she seemed fine. Fine felt like a win. When he saw her name written down, Robert thought it was a joke. No, that was how she spelled her name. J-A-Z-M-I-N. Robert attempted to feign surprise with a nod of his head. Why on earth would Katie not approve of Jasmine? There was only an eight-year age difference between them. They must have so much in common. Ha! Robert is beginning to regret smoking that joint now. Time has slowed down and he has way too long to think about his responses. Should Robert chastise her for not understanding that her dad has a new girlfriend? Should he try to make Nico see his daughter's side? Should he say nothing? She'll come around, mate, says Robert. Yeah, fingers crossed, right? Right. Robert notices on the TV screen the news reporting the fire that broke out at Foe 182 and feels his stomach sink and flip like he's experiencing turbulence on a packed flight. He really doesn't want to see his face plastered on the screen, but it appears the story is glossed over before moving on to the sport, just as Miles Davis begins blue and green. He's relieved. He doesn't want Nico seeing the news and knowing what happened last night. Robert knows if he does, Nico will somehow make it all about himself. Good to see you can still afford to eat out. Always hungry to have your face on TV while the rest of us can't be arrested. You could have done more and mentioned our 20th anniversary. These were all possibly comments that could have been spewing forth out of the mouth of Nico. Robert can do without all of them, mainly because he knows there's a great chance he'll bite back and he really is in the mood to have an argument. <laughs> Who's he kidding? There's a good chance it is going to happen anyway. Then, almost on cue, Let me cut to the chase, Bobby, says Nico. Here we go. Let's get the band back together. I've spoken to the others. Others, says Robert. Yeah, the band and Christy. This is a good opportunity to get our name back out there, make a little money, give the fans what they want. We still have fans? Don't be a dick. Of course we do. Don't you ever check our Facebook page? Robert had no idea they have a Facebook page. He knew of the website, but he never checked that either. Do they have a Twitter account? Instagram? Snapchat? What is Snapchat? He has no idea. Does it still even exist? He hears his staff talk about these social media platforms all the time and he's happy to nod along. Robert suspects they know he doesn't have a clue. Many years ago, Melody and Robert went to a gold-class screening of the movie Showgirls where they drank their weight in expensive sparkling wine. Then they hit the town, ate a big meal and drank even more. Melody mentioned the band's Wikipedia page to Robert, who had no idea that it existed. By the time the night was over, Robert said goodnight to his friend and returned home. He flamed up a J, sat down at his computer, and while Alfred sat on his lap and purred, decided to check out this Wikipedia entry, curious to read what had been written on the site. He googled the band's name, found an endless array of links, and then accidentally clicked on one that had an intriguing opening sentence. What occurred next was a three-hour deep dive into the rabbit hole of despair that is the internet. Endless articles that were incorrect, endless think pieces based on incorrect reporting, people just outright hating the band, or worse, loving the band, but hating certain albums, songs, band members, poor little Tom Major, who quite clearly didn't relate to real people because he came from money, and boo-hoo, his parents are dead. Why doesn't he talk about it? Because he doesn't care. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. You don't know him. You don't know him either. Did you know he's in dating, insert name, or famous woman? Did you know he had a affair with insert name a famous gay man he likes cats so he must be a faggot and on and on and on it has been said you only ever google your name once that was the only time robert searched out anything about himself on the internet and therefore surmised from that moment on he wouldn't need to interact with any form of social media he could see how it worked for some but he was more than happy to avoid that world of misinformation stained with digital ink I don't know. Nico finishes off his coffee and drops the cup so it makes a noise that attracts the attention of the people around them. You don't know, says Nico. It is easy for you. You're rich. The rest of us are fucked. You get the majority of the money. You had money before. Of course, you don't know about our Facebook page. Why would you know when you're so rich you can do fuck all for the rest of your life? Here we go. Easy, mate, Robert says. He looks around, but everyone seems to have lost interest in them already. He looks over at the counter and sees a plate full of muffins and his stoned stomach growls. He could eat all of them right now. How funny would it be if he just ate muffin after muffin every time Nico cracked the sads? Don't easy me, says Nico. One of the veins begins to pulse on the side of his head. In Nico's defence, even his pulsing vein looks like it is keeping pretty good time. Listen, we all want to get back together. We've all got new tunes we'd like to record. It is the right time to do this with the 20th anniversary and stuff. Let's do this. The offers are on the table. They won't last forever. All Robert can think of is the muffins. They look delicious. He'd rather eat three muffins and then complain about how fat he feels than sit opposite Nico with his pulsing vein of fury. Ah, pulsing vein of fury could also be the title of Nico's autobiography. Boom! Robert tries not to smirk. There's a good chance that if he does, we might be removing that cup and saucer from his arsehole. I am thinking about it, says Robert, finally getting his green thoughts in the right order. I just don't know if I have it in me. Nico clicks his fingers at the skinny waitress as she tries to walk by. She turns and before she can register who she is talking to, Nico is tapping the side of his coffee cup, asking for another. She looks to Robert, who says, no thanks, as softly as possible. He now feels embarrassed by his old friend's behaviour. Nico quite clearly turned up ready to fight. Robert wonders how long it took him before he entered the store, getting himself ready for this confrontation, primed to make his case. Don't you want to get back out on the stage, says Nico? Stop hanging out with all of those pasty looking nerds at that comic shop. Get back out in front of the crowds that love you. Belt out some of the old hits. Robert can barely walk up five steps without losing his breath. He doubts he could build out anything. Although when he noticed the fire last night, a new energy kicked in. He can't help but wonder if he gave up the booze, the pot, the other random things, and ate some good food, went to the gym, maybe he could be quite fit for his age. Not Steve Rogers fit, but fit nonetheless. I just need some time to think about it. Fuck, man. How much time do you need? Robert has had enough. "'I need enough fucking time for you to let me finish a fucking sentence. "'That's how much time I fucking need,' says Robert through stoned eyes and gritted teeth. "'Wait here.' Robert stands up and grabs his wallet out of his jacket. "'Where are you going? I need a fucking muffin!' Over at the counter, there are way too many muffins to choose from. "'Blueberry, orange poppy, banana and almond, they all look delicious.' He looks over at the man behind the counter. He's short with olive skin and a sleeve tattoo that makes him look like an Australian footballer. Tommy, how the fuck are ya? I'm good, Tony, says Robert, his eyes bouncing back and forth between the muffins. Tony has been such a fan of the old band that he refuses to call Robert by anything but his stage name. It makes Robert laugh to know that Tony here is a big fan but hasn't recognised Nico at all. <laughs> How's the missus? Can't complain, mate. Can't complain. Who'd listen? Robert nods, makes a decision, orders his delicious muffin and takes it over to the table. Nico is texting someone and puts his smartphone away before Robert can sit down. He's probably letting Jasmine know that he's really giving it his all. ''Do you want some?'' Nico shakes his head. ''This would really help me out, Bobby,'' says Nick. ''He's now going to the next part of his gambit.'' Anger hasn't worked, now appealed to his compassion. As Robert eats the blueberry muffin, he looks at Nico and can see all of his options playing out on his face. Maybe he should have opened by appealing to Robert's good nature rather than attacking straight away. Nico was never a people person. He had a charisma that relied on being the fun party guy, but when it came to being a real grown-up, it was Struggle City. It is one of the main reasons his marriage broke up. That, and he couldn't stop putting his dick in any groupie that looked in his general direction. Jasmine and I are getting married, says Nico. Congratulations, says Robert, spitting muffin onto the table. Thanks. We're getting married and it's expensive and I want to show my girl the best time and I could really use the extra money. It isn't just about money, of course, but it would help. We could all use a little extra cash. Robert finishes the muffin and wonders if he could get away with ordering another. Probably not. I get it. I do, Robert says. It's been a long time now since I got up on stage, you know. A long time. Nico doesn't say anything. This is a nice surprise. I am thinking about it, though, Robert continues. Look, I'll listen to the album over the weekend, I promise. Let me see if it gets the old juices flowing. Nico breaks out a smile that for some reason makes Robert angry. That would be great, man, says Nico. The guys would love to see you. Everyone would. Yeah, it'd be great, says Robert. Do they really? He doubts it. A lot of time has passed since they last caught up, and even more time has passed since they caught up and liked each other. He looks at Nico, all wobbly and saggy with age, he looks at himself, pudgy around the middle, enough grey in his ponytail, he could be Gandalf the Grey, maybe not that much grey, Gandalf the Greying instead? Who wants to see a bunch of washed up arseholes playing music that was relevant a long time ago? It isn't like they stuck together and kept playing music, kept evolving, they'd be their own tribute band, he can't think of anything worse. 20-something Robert would cringe if he knew this is what it would come down to. Then again, he feels like such a different person, he wonders if his younger self would recognise him at all. We all miss her, you know that, right? says Nico. At first, Robert doesn't know who he's talking about, and then it kicks in. He's talking about Melody. This must be his last roll of the dice. Nico shouldn't have brought up Melody, especially now that the pot feels like it is wearing off. Sure, says Robert. Look, I'd better get back to the office. Bunch of stuff to do, paperwork, shit like that. Nico looks surprised. Doesn't Greg handle all of that? Yeah, most of it, but I do some of it too. Robert hopes this sounds plausible. Fair enough, says Nico. Robert isn't certain he's bought it, but he's at least accepted it, for the time being at least. What are you doing tonight? Some of the boys are heading to the casino if you want to join us. Robert would rather set himself on fire and shoot himself into the sun, but refrains from sharing this news. Ah, I've got some stuff on, but keep me in the loop. Are you going to answer your phone? Yeah, I left it at home today, but once I'm done with all of my uh, paperwork and shit, then yeah, I'll be nearby. Robert stands up. He doesn't want to talk to Nico. He doesn't want to think about Melody. He doesn't want to think about Nico bringing her up. He doesn't want to think about the band or what he should or shouldn't do. He doesn't want to think about how the best years of his life are already gone. He doesn't want to think. Great to see you. He puts his hand out for Nico, palm facing upwards and the two shake like men who have never met before. Why don't we talk more, Bobby, says Nico. Robert looks at him totally perplexed. I don't know. I guess I really just don't have anything much to say. Chapter 17 So we're talking again, says Robert. It took the shop closing for the day before Kylie would say anything to Robert. Actually, that's not entirely true. Kylie did speak to him during the day, but each sentence was direct and muscular, like she was being written by Cormac McCarthy. Her passive-aggressive behaviour leaned more into the aggressive, leaving Robert few options. He could either answer in kind, which he felt would kickstart a confrontation of some sort, or he could just ignore the situation and keep an eye out for the right moment that he could ask what was wrong. He chose the latter and hoped it was due to him being a grown-up and not a coward who liked to avoid confrontation. If he were honest with himself, it was a little from column A and column B. It wasn't just the way Kylie spoke either. At times throughout the day, he would catch her flinging optical death daggers at him from across the room. With each look or grunt, his paranoia grew. He could blame the early day pot smoking for these unhelpful thoughts, but he didn't want to outright dismiss what felt like a real problem on a self-inflicted green haze. At one point, he walked in on Kylie and Nisa, talking in the storeroom. They were obviously in the middle of something important, so to break the tension, Robert joked, "'Hope you girls aren't talking about me!' Anissa gave a half-hearted smile, but Kylie barely turned around. Actually, we were trying to fulfil our lifelong dream of acting out a moment that ticked all the boxes of the Bechdel test, she said. Robert laughed nervously and wandered back onto the store's floor, wondering what a Bercher test could be. After attempting to apply a flavored metaphor to the exchange for just a bit too long, he decided there was only one way forward, and that was to ask a young person what that actually meant. Damien, said Robert as he walked over to the counter, have you ever heard of something called the Bircher test or something like that? Damien had a thing rubbing his smooth face for a moment looking like the youngest ancient person in the world. Eventually his eyes lit up. Oh you mean the Bechtel test? After some lightning quick typing with nothing but his thumbs he pulled up the explanation on his smartphone and turned the screen around. Why do you ask? Robert looked at Damien, the young man who wears so much Nordica Voyage that the staff are scared to have him around an open flame. Damien's facial hair looked more like the tufts someone finds stuck on their face after they passed out on the floor next to the family dog. Between that and the fact that Damien's face barely creased even when he smiled, Robert felt his age could be anywhere between I got and 27 years old. Was Robert ever that young? Sometimes he wondered if his youth ever happened at all. When he did so, he'd laugh to himself at his foolish old man thoughts. What he had never acknowledged was the trauma of the accident and losing his parents, an experience that meant the majority of his teenage years felt like a blur, a whole series of everyday events that happened to someone else, someone he used to be. Ah, you know, you read stuff and then someone says something and then you're thinking too much about Muesli. Even the Muesli exchange seemed a lifetime ago, when in fact it was barely a few hours ago. Now Kylie is summing him up as she walks down the stairs and Robert wonders if he just blew the opportunity to talk by being flippant at her polite goodbye for the night. Robert wished he'd kept his mouth shut but he was surprised to discover how relieved he felt that she was still in the store even if they hadn't spoken all day. There was only one way to deal with this in the moment and just be honest. Look, I know I've fucked up and to be honest, I'm not certain what I've done. If you'd like to have a quick chat about it or a long chat or no chat, I'm happy to do whatever you want to do but I just need to say... I'm sorry. Kylie continues to look at him, the faintest of smiles clinging to her lips while she scratches the back of her head. Robert wonders when young people became so confident around older people. Is it a compliment that they act this way or is it an act of dismissiveness? He didn't want to be one of those scary old men, the type of men with body shapes that looked like they were made out of old cardboard boxes, the men he actively avoided as a young boy. It isn't all your fault, said Kylie, biting her bottom lip for a moment as she plunges her hands into the pockets of her black velvet jacket. I'm just in a mood, and what's annoying is we talked about things on Tuesday night, and I have a feeling you have no idea what we talked about. Either that, or you're a fucking arsehole who just chooses to forget anything that doesn't revolve around them. Robert nods, acknowledging the situation, relieved it appears that his crime is nothing but being broken and forgetful. I'm not going to lie, my memory is shot. "'I have no idea what we talked about.' "'Kylie reaches into a little brown suede bag "'and pulls out a packet of cigarettes. "'Want one?' "'Sure. "'Do we have to go out the back?' "'Robert shrugged his shoulders. "'You know Greg hates the smell, and he'll know. "'It's one of the rare rules he enforces in this place. "'Good point,' Kylie said, "'continuing to nod her head after Robert has stopped talking. "'They begin to walk in the direction of the office "'so they can access the alley. "'Eventually, Kylie asks, "'How's he going?' Huh, "'What a loaded question.' Robert wondered how much he should share with his employee. It was difficult walking the tightrope between honesty and privacy. Poor Greg this morning, looking more stressed than ever, taking Robert into the office so they could talk. They're selling most of the block to knock down the buildings and put up apartments, Greg said, shaking his head. If there's one thing I've said about Melbourne is that it needs more apartments, said Robert. Right, I guess all those high-rises with nobody living in them demands that we build more. Soon the city will be nothing more than apartments, banks and Apple stores. Yeah, said Greg. I was trapped in a meeting with rich middle-aged men wearing expensive but ill-fitting suits. They couldn't give a toss about any of our small-time businesses. It makes me sick. What do you think we should do? Greg scratched his head while rubbing his belly, a ginger Buddha contemplating the state of the world. Ah, I guess we have to move. I guess we do. Such a shit, man. I feel like we're just back on track. Everything is going nicely, and now this. It was stressful, especially with all the changes they'd made to the store. Ultimate Comics was back on its feet with a podcast, free classes with writers and artists, the monthly Ultimate Women's Comic Book Club, hosted by Anissa, which included book discussions, club raffles and comic book swaps. Damien ran Ultimate Comics Kids Club, which included competitions, teaching how to create stories and providing opportunities to score free tickets to see the latest movies at private events. Robert's entertainment contacts had come in handy too, allowing the store to expand and flourish. Everything at the store was really humming, and this was far from ideal. When does the lease give out, said Robert. Greg sat down and leant with his elbows on his desk and his head in his hands. For once, his desk was the messier one in the office. Paperwork, files, sticket notes, and even a half-eaten sandwich. Whenever Robert sees food that hasn't been eaten on Greg's desk, he knows his friend is stressed. Toward the end of this year, Greg replied, I knew something was up because I was trying to roll over into a new lease with these guys and I could tell they were dodging me. I just pushed the feeling aside because I didn't want to be paranoid. No offence. Robert waved him off. None taken, he said. Robert didn't take offence because he didn't understand why he would. Is he always paranoid? Is this what Kylie was talking about? Maybe they've all been discussing how paranoid he is. Is overthinking another form of paranoia? He might be stoned a lot, but does that mean he's paranoid? Is he paranoid when he's high? Should he ask Greg? He might not like the answer. Robert ran through all the possible responses he might receive and chose to say nothing. Better to just nod and wave it off as if he were no big thing. Was it a big thing? Before Robert could overthink himself deeper down the rabbit hole, Greg continued talking. There's nothing worse than ignoring your gut, only to have your gut be proven correct. Now that was something Robert could understand. Look, whatever happens, happens, said Robert, attempting to place a positive spin on the moon. We'll find a new place, a better place. It will be more ultimate than Ultimate Comics is now. I'll help you find a new place. We'll make it work. Greg looked up at Robert and sighed. Yeah, thanks. I just don't know if I have the energy to go through it all again, especially with everything else that's going on, he replied. Robert watched his old friend's shoulders sag. Between this and the stress of not knowing what was happening with his wife, it all just seemed like too much for one person. Robert talks Kylie through what happened with Greg today as they walk through the store, turning off the lights and making certain all the locks are in place. With the shop barely illuminated by the streetlights, they make their way through the office and out to the smoking area in the alley. They light their cigarettes, words unnecessary, while they take deep drags in unison. Robert looks at Kylie, who returns his gaze, both finding themselves returned to the present. So in answer to your question, he says he's okay, but he's lying, Robert says. Kylie takes another drag of her cigarette and lets the smoke drift from her mouth and dissipate into the night before it has a chance to hold form. It's just so fucking sad, says Kylie. I've only met her a couple of times. She seems cool. Yeah, Jill is cool, Robert replies, nodding, and so is he. He's probably the best guy I've ever known, and while he does share with me what's going on, he does it on his own terms. I try to ask enough to be across everything, but not too much that I'm prying, if that makes sense. Heaven forbid any of you guys would just open up and talk a little bit. What do you mean? Ah, for fuck's sake, Robbie, what the fuck is going on? What do you mean? Kylie leans on the doorframe, finishing off her cigarette with one last puff, presses the butt against the wall to make certain the flame is extinguished, and then slips it into her pocket. Robert looks at her with a slightly confused face. The environment, she says, as way of explanation. Kylie tips her head to one side and looks at Robert, making him feel self-conscious. So when I ask what the fuck is going on, well, where do I start? How about you save people's lives last night, in a restaurant fire no less, and then you come in here as if it is no big deal. It wasn't a big deal, Robert says. I think all those news people that came by today would think otherwise. Those people were hardly news people. Robert isn't quite correct with this response. In fact, he'd been in the office talking to Greg when Anissa knocked on the door. Robbie, there are more people looking for you. More? Who is it this time? There's more reporters here about the fire, she said. Robert.
0: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. Bombus, Big comfort for everyone. Go to com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's com slash ACAST. Code ACAST.
1: Looked at Greg for help. You're a real-life superhero, Greg replied, shrugging his shoulders. I know, right? Are they out there now, Annie? Yeah, two crews. They keep asking for Tom, which I'm guessing was... A stage name? Big fan, says Robert, looking over at Greg while jerking his thumb in Anissa's direction. I think the most mature thing to do is for me to hide under this desk until they go. Can you tell them I must have popped out for a wander? Anissa snorted. In this weather? Sure. Anissa turned to leave, but then suddenly remembered one more thing. Oh, I forgot to tell you, Christy Caddo is on the line for you. Now it was Robert's turn to sigh. Okay, I better take that one. Thanks, Anissa. No problem, Tommy. Anissa closed the door as Greg stood up. She's funny, he said. Do you want me to leave? Robert shook his head. Nah, fuck it. Christy's good people She's just checking in. Greg sat back down and began to shuffle his way through the paperwork that was beginning to resemble an origami wet dream. Robert picked up the phone and pressed for line one. Howdy, said Robert, elongating the D at the end. You've left your phone at home, Christy said, ignoring all greening etiquette. And uh, Merry Christmas to you too, he replied. What can I say? I've spoken to Wendy and she's told me that you're fine, so I know you're just being an annoying dickwad by leaving your phone at home. Dickwad? If anyone was going to hold on to old Aussie vernacular no matter what, it was going to be Christie. Robert filed Dickwad, a to use in the future, along with Whacker, Knob Jockey and Tool as words he liked to drop in future conversations. He was over, old mate, time to bring back the classics. How do you know I left it at home? Maybe I'm just ignoring it. Are you ignoring it? No, I left it at home, said Robert, accidentally. Truzies. Robert listened to Christie take a long drag of a cigarette. I figured as much... Before I get stuck into you, are you okay? Robert leant back in his chair and pulled the cord of the phone tight. Why do they have phones with cords? They need to upgrade their equipment. Maybe this weekend he'll buy new phones without cords for everyone. Maybe even new computers. Maybe he could buy everyone something so they all loved him again. I am fine. Thank you for asking. It was pretty full on, but we saw it happen early and were able to get out of there as quickly as possible. Robert listened to another long drag followed by an exhalation of smoke. Good. Wendy said as much. She's still a little shaken today. Have you called her? Fuck, Wendy. Robert hadn't even thought to check in with her. I was going to, but I left my phone at home, so I figured I'll call her when I get home, said Robert. I can't remember people's phone numbers anymore, ever since mobile phones came into play. Maybe a couple, but they're the numbers that people had before I had a mobile phone. It is like tracks on an album. I can't remember the names of songs that I really liked. Stupid technology. It is bizarre. Yeah, great stuff, says Christy, cutting Robert off before he can become the mayor of Waffletown. My phone has been going nuts all day. You know, you were seen in the background of the news report last night. I know, I caught a glimpse of it. Maybe you left your phone at home deliberately then? Robert had a quick think. If I did, I blame my subconscious, he replied. For everything. Christy laughed, a dry chuckle. Good to know, I'll put it on your tombstone. I'm calling to let you know I've told everyone you're stressed out and will give a statement when you feel better, okay? That's great. There are reporters in the store right now waiting to talk to me. You'll be proud to know that I'm out the back hiding, like a big boy. Robert felt nothing but happiness that he had a real pro and Christie looking out for him. He really didn't know what to think about the fire. It was such a surreal and quick moment. One second they're having a nice dinner, the next they're out on the street and then he's hailing a cab for Jemima. It wasn't like the fire didn't mean anything, but the moment happened, he dealt with it and then moved on. If anything, he felt more stressed about his catch-up with Nico than he did with dealing with the delicious-smelling Thai fire. "'I appreciate you looking out for me,' Robert continued. "'I'll write or prepare something to say for you tomorrow. Fuck, with the present 24-hour news cycle, everyone will have forgotten by tomorrow anyway. And I really did leave my phone at home by accident. I'm sorry I've stressed you out with all these calls.' Down the line, the sound of a lighter clicking, Christie devoured durries like Hannibal Lecter, knocked back livers. ''Are you kidding me?'' said Christie. ''This is great. Nobody died. You saved a bunch of people.'' ''I wouldn't go that far. Spoken like a true hero.'' ''But more importantly, if you decide you want to do this reunion with the band, this is the type of coverage that we couldn't buy.'' ''Really? I hadn't thought of it like that.'' For the first time in the conversation, Christy sounded excited. ''Did you catch up with Nico?'' Christie's eagerness took Robert by surprise. Why was she sounding so positive about this offer? Was this a great idea that he was being too stubborn to accept? He knew that Christy must have had some contact with part, if not all, the band, but he hadn't really thought about what that might mean. Why did he suddenly feel like they were painting him into a corner? Yeah, it was fun, nice, a good reminder, said Christy. Robert paused while he searched for the right word. Illuminating, he said. I bet it was. He's still fucking intense, don't you think? Oh yeah, even more so in a way. You know my motto, never trust a dude that gets off the gear but keeps the mannerisms. Robert laughed but his heart wasn't in it. Why would she say something like this but then still be leaning into the idea of the reunion? Christie was his contact, his friend. None of the other band members had stayed in touch so her loyalties should be with him, right? He wrote most of the songs anyway. Well, he wrote the good songs, at least, back when the band was relevant. Part of the slide into the suburbs of mediocrity had come after the band decided they should be more democratic, that the songwriting duties should be spread about evenly. That's how they went from every time the rain appears to Wednesday Night Party, a song written by the twins that still made Robert's balls crawl up into his abdomen in embarrassment. On the other hand, maybe they're not ganging up. Maybe this is just Christy doing her job. Her job is to make him more money, get him out there doing stuff. If anything, Robert was the roadblock to Christie fulfilling her job requirement. This paranoia was too much, and there was one important lesson to take away from this whole day. Stop smoking fatties at work during the day. Hey, um, there's something going on out the front of the store, said Robert, desperate to be off the phone. He felt panicked. He could feel the adrenaline rising and knew that at any moment he could begin blabbering incoherently down the phone. He knew he needed time to think this through, weigh up the good and the bad of bringing the band back together. Are you okay? Do you need me to swing by and deal with the journalists? Nah, all good, thank you, he replied a little too quickly. Thanks for the offer. I'll listen to the album over the weekend and let's talk Monday. Luckily for Robert, the call with Christie had taken up so much time that the journalists had left, so he didn't, in fact, have any idea if they were proper journalists or more of those online bloggers who gave themselves fancy titles because they knew how to use Squarespace. They were real, Robbie, says Kylie. We just did what we always do with you and deflected the shit out of the situation. Robert finishes his cigarette and slips the butt into his pocket, shamed by Kylie's obvious care for the environment she had exhibited earlier. Thank you, he said. I appreciate you all doing that today and other days too. You're welcome. I've just look I've just had a bit going on, Kylie laughs. What's so funny? She looks at him with her blue eyes that in the half light of the alleyway make her look like a replicant. Kylie looks like she's seen things, things you people wouldn't believe. You, you're funny. You're funny because you've always got something going on. Ever since I've met you, there's some weird-ass Gen X on UE that hangs over you. You think you're keeping it to yourself because, I don't know, you think you're stoic or something. But every thought, every emotion is written on your face and played out in your actions. And enough with the pot. You're a cliché. Why do you always have to be so fucking stone? What can Robert say to this? For a moment, he wants to tell Kylie to pay him some fucking respect for a change, to stop carrying on as if she knows everything. Robert wants to tell her that she should back off because she wouldn't like it if he dropped some truth bombs in her face. Of course, he doesn't do this. He doesn't say anything. She's right, of course, but he's not interested in sharing tonight. Would she even understand? He's not certain he does, so how can he articulate what he's feeling? How do you explain to someone you're just sick of your voice, sick of being you, trapped with your thoughts day in, day out? What's worse... He can't hear music in his head anymore. That was what he could always rely on, the songs that played in his head through his body and out into the world. Now it is silent in there, except for his whiny voice, a voice that doesn't sound like him anymore. How does he say all of that? I'm just sick of me. That's why I smoke pot. That's how you say it? Kylie smiles at the answer. Do you have any more with you? No, not with me. That's why I'm yelling. She smiles. You're not yelling. Robert scratches his head, suddenly self-conscious of what just happened. It feels like I was yelling, he says. Let's get out of this alley before someone comes down and beats you up because they think you're mugging me. Kylie grabs Robbie by his arm and leads him up the alley and around the corner. Robert looks up at the graffiti burned into the wall. This isn't real! He goes to mention it to Kylie, but she's let go of his arm to dart between the people scuttling through the night, trying to deal with the rain that stops and starts with no rhyme or reason. Robert follows her across the road and walks up beside her, slightly winded. He really needs to start looking after himself. "'Okay, old man, here.' Kylie suddenly swerves into a bar full of the type of people who work important jobs, where important people do important things, and then talk as if everyone agrees that they are indeed important. They also speak loudly. "'Everyone and everything in the bar is so loud.' Robert hates it here already as he slips between men dressed in dark blue suits with white shirts and pale pink stripes matched with colourful tyres that suggest they're all colourblind. For a moment he loses Kylie and then is amazed to find her right at the front of the bar ordering a couple of drinks, completely oblivious to the dirty looks that surround her. I think you pushed in front of some people, Robert yells above the chatter amusing. My bad, luckily I have an amazing haircut so this has to count for something, right? Robert cannot see why this wouldn't be the case. Kylie pays for the two drinks, hands one to Robert and then drags him by the hand through the sweaty bar. A song that sounds like a remixed version of Right Said Fred blares over the speakers and Robert silently prays for a power failure to save his fragile ears. They bounce and bump into people until eventually they're out in a small smoking area. A few people huddle in corners, pariahs in arms, smoking their brains out. By the time Robert has gathered himself, Kylie is already handing him another cigarette. I'll make this quick because I've got shit on tonight. Who do you want me to talk about first, Anissa or Damien? Robert has a thing. He's not certain he wants to hear anything. If he's really honest, as long as he didn't do anything bad or embarrassing, he's happier knowing as little about his staff as, too late, says Kylie, I'll start with Damien. Robert nods and raises his eyebrows, no point in arguing. You know I love Damien, right? Kylie continues, sure. We've been together for three years now. He's so sweet, a good guy, he's just great on so many levels. He's really reliable, maybe too reliable. What does that mean? Kylie rubs her hand over the top of her head while she thinks about what she has to say. She pulls her hand down, does a double take when she looks at her fingers and then blows short blonde hairs from her fingers. He's so reliable, he's stagnant. So you're bored yeah I know this is a shit thing to say especially when I have a great boyfriend but I'm too young to be settled he's happy coming in working on stuff at the store working on comics at home watching movies dealing with kids on the weekend and I I just don't know I want to travel get fucked up make some mistakes he wants to save money buy a house you know because he's really happy to you know I don't know why shake shit up Kylie takes a long drink and slightly misses her mouth, so beer dribbles down her chin. She giggles, and for a moment, Robert sees her for a proper age. She smiles at him as she wipes her face with the back of her hand. "'Looks like you've got a drinking problem,' says Robert. "'Yeah, yeah, yeah, I get the reference,' she says, straightening her posture to regain her sense of dignity. "'I'm a shit-cunt, aren't I?' Robert sighs. "'No, not at all. You're just... young. It's okay.' Kylie nods in agreement, and in that moment, Robert is relieved. He wasn't certain how she was going to take that comment, but she gets where he's coming from. You know we haven't had sex in nearly a year? This is Robert's turn to nearly spill his beer. One, that is too much information, and two, Jesus shit, are you serious? Yeah, it's like we're Barbie and Ken living together, having heaps of fun, comfortable showing affection, but when I want to go out and have fun, he's in the beanbag playing video games. I've... Gotta be honest, I've never heard Damien talk about sex in any way, says Robert. In fact, Robert hasn't heard anyone at the store talk about sex. Damien never mentions it, Greg never talks about it, but then again, that makes a lot of sense with all that he and Jill are dealing with. Anissa is flirty, but fun flirty, not sexy flirty. Kylie is too busy taking everyone down with funny comments to talk sex, although she does have an unhealthy infatuation with Dick Grayson and his bum. In fact, there appears to be a whole subsection of women and gay men who love the grown up Rob. Robin's arse. Robert wonders what Frederick Wortham would have to say to them. "'So what are you going to do?' Robert says, finishing off his drink. "'Well, that gets me to my second issue,' Kylie says, draining her glass. "'I think I'm in love with Anissa.' Robert holds up his hand with his forefinger extended as he slams down the rest of his beer. "'Right, I need something stronger all of a sudden. Wait here.' A few minutes later, Robert returns with two whiskeys neat. "'I don't drink whiskey, says Kylie. "'They weren't for you,' says Robert.' He throws them both down in rapid succession, grimaces for a moment, then returns his attention to Kylie. "'Nice one,' says Kylie. "'Feeling pretty cool? I'm a regular Don Draper.'" Right. So, Anissa, does she know? Kylie nods. In the background, an old song by Gary Puckett and The Union Gap begins to play. Robert nods at how appropriate the lyrics are. Maybe too appropriate. He sometimes wonders if there is a force out there applying a soundtrack to his life. You're right, Gary. She's definitely not making eye contact because she isn't satisfied. Yeah, she knows. Nothing has happened. Well, Robert quickly shakes both his hands in Kylie's direction. I don't want to know. Calm down, Kylie says. I was about to say we've sat on a lounge together with me leaning back into her chest, her arm around me, but that is all. And what about Damien? Kylie sighs. He doesn't know anything. What do I tell him? There's nothing wrong with him, I'm just not the person I used to be. I don't even know who I am anymore, but I'm not the person he fell in love with. Robert rubs his hand down his face and then rests his head on his hand while his arm rests on the sidebar. He looks at Kylie and sighs. We talked about this the other night, Uh uh-huh, and you confessed to me and then I acted like nothing happened. Yep, when I promised you that I would have a think about it, got it in one. I'm sorry, apology accepted. I hate to be rude, but I'm hitting the wall. Let me have a think about the Damien situation. A proper think, he says. You can't stay with him if your feelings have changed. That will only make things worse down the line. Kylie nods her head, her eyes looking past him in an into empty space. Yeah, I know. You're right, but. Yeah. Robert reaches out and takes Kylie's hand, giving it a reassuring squeeze. She looks at him, taken aback. This display of affection is new to both of them. For a moment, he wonders if he's made a terrible mistake. Kylie nods, her eyes suddenly pink and wet. She removes her hand and with one finger wipes a corner of her eye. Sorry for being a dickhead, says Robert. A sincere uh, apology, but also a way of breaking the tension. Yes, you are a dickhead, but thank you, she replies. Time to stop with the mopey, broken, middle-aged man thing too. You're better than that. Robert nods at her, smiling. Even when she's vulnerable, he enjoys her ability to turn on the sass. Let's get out of here, she says. I can see some people starting to recognise you and I have a horrible feeling I'm going to be trapped waiting while drunk dickheads tell them they love your song these days. That was a Powderfinger song, says Robert. Was it? Must be why it was good. Ha, 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 he replies, standing up. Kylie once again leads the way as they press through the throng of everyday work, people letting off steam. By the time they hit the street, the rain has stopped and the neon lights of the city reflecting off the road. What can I do to help, Robert says. Kylie scrunches up her chin and mouth, a comical look for someone thinking. She lets her face relax and breaks into a smile. Nothing, you old loser, she replies. I just needed someone to talk to. I'll work it out. Okay, you young punk. Remember, you can talk to me any time about it, okay? Kylie punches Robert in the shoulder. That goes both ways, right? Now go home and get some sleep. You look awful. Robert laughs and nods. He does look awful. He feels awful. Time to go home. See you back at the office, she says. Kylie skips across the wet road and over to the tram stop as her ride pulls up. A few people disembark before Kylie jumps on and takes a seat. Robert waits for the train to take off to see if Kylie will look around so he can give her a wave goodbye, but she doesn't turn around, already lost in her phone. Her phone? Ugh. He remembers he's left his phone at home and shudders at what messages the device has waiting for him. He zips his coat up to his neck and begins to search for a taxi even as the rain begins again to fall. Robert would rather walk in the light rain than begin to answer all the messages waiting for him. Chapter 18 Halfway through a bottle of red, Robert remembers to check his phone. How did he forget the one thing he had to do? He walked through the misty rain, lost in his thoughts, feeling unreal like a half-remembered lyric or a fragment of a poem written down on a torn piece of paper. His immediate memories of the day melded to create a kaleidoscope of images that overwhelmed any cognizant thought, bouncing back and forth with the pace of an idle child, changing channels on the family TV. Walking up Burke Street, he thought about his dear friend Greg and what he could do to take some strain off his many pressures. Up Russell Street, he thought about Carly's dilemma with Damien and Anissa and what advice he could give to help her resolve that sticky situation. He crisscrossed through side streets to end up on exhibition and all he could think about were Nico and the band desperately attempting to focus on their shared good times and not how it all unraveled in the end. As he cut through Carlton Gardens, Robert remembered his promise to Jemima and wondered if he should call her to apologise for not ringing Erica after he promised that he would. So many thoughts for a man who had done his sincere best not to think these past few years. He walked past the Melbourne Museum closed for the night and draped in shadows. Young men and older boys pulled off tricks on skateboards that made Robert shudder, witnessing their ankle-breaking dexterity. He longed for the joy of youth where fun could be easily found in the simplest of acts. To one side of it all, Robert clocked a tall man in a battered coat staring into the museum, leaning against the glass doors and peering into the dark. Robert wondered what this man could be looking for, but his thoughts were suddenly hijacked by memories of Melody, and that time they skipped along this very place while she made cruel but funny song parodies out of his biggest hits. It was a funny memory, so funny that for once Robert didn't feel the tinge of sadness that often accompanied most memories of his long-departed friend. By the time he hit Johnson Street, Robert was flicking through the names of people he knew, wondering who he could call, suddenly desperate for some company. It was too late to call most of his friends, and besides, tonight would be a good night to avoid having a drink. If he called someone, anyone, who knows how the night pans out from there. No, tonight he was going to drink some water and go to bed early, get some sleep, feel good first thing in the morning rather than dusty for a change. He walked up Brunswick Street, watching the new generation drink and eat and talk loudly, wondering if any of them knew that this time in their life would one day be a memory, that this lifestyle would be a thing of their past. Maybe this was someone's memory and Robert was just a small part of it. Jesus shit, he was beginning to think he was about to launch into some fucking poetry when he got home off the back of these thoughts. Besides, not everyone gives up the lifestyle. Robert still went out and drank and did drugs at his age, so that's cool, right? Well, maybe he should feel melancholic about his lack of growth as a person. Was it a victory that he could still enjoy life like someone in their 20s, or was it an indictment of him as an adult? He guessed the answer depended on which day of the week you asked him. At the beginning of Edinburgh Gardens, he thought about the solo album he had begun and left on the shelf. Robert was always at his best when he was creating content, making music, in tune with his creativity. Most of his greatest achievements in songwriting came from taking wild swings and trusting his instincts. What appeared to be crazy on paper often found an audience that related to exactly what he had produced. Unfortunately, success inspired a conservatism in the band. They just wanted more and more hits that sounded the same. And before too long, Robert was convinced Dead Fingers Tapping were being reduced to a cover band for themselves. Once he was free of the constraints of the band, Robert was convinced shit was going to get crazy. That he was going to get back to who he used to be. Tom Major, a proper artist... Unfortunately, too many years of questioning his instinct led to doubt, and he wondered if what he was capable of producing was now passé as a new generation arrived to take their claim on the present. Fuck, what a depressing thought. It was about this point Robert changed his mind about having a drink. Upon arriving at his house, Robert said hello to Alfred and sorted out his four-legged friend's supper. He poured himself a glass of red, finished it in one mouthful, and then poured another to drown out the dumbass thoughts reverberating around the empty hall of his memories. He felt a need for some music and flicked through his albums, settling on Homogenic, an album he'd loved from the moment he'd first heard it, so alien and unlike anything else. Robert poured himself another glass of wine and sat alone on the lounge. Alfred jumped on his lap and began to purr, nuzzling into Robert's hand until he got the hint he wanted to be patted. From the back of his head all the way down to his tail, it wasn't until Bachelorette began to play that Robert remembered he should check his phone. With Bjork playing in the background, Robert flipped Alfred from his lap and onto his shoulder so he could stand and find his phone. There it was on the counter, exactly where Robert left it in the morning as he attempted to get his shit together and head into the store. It was dead. It had run out of battery a long time ago. Picking it up, Robert took the phone to where the charger was attached to the wall and plugged it in. He watched as the phone came to life, Alfred's whiskers tickling his ear, purring lovingly on his owner's shoulder. The moment of peacefulness is instantly ruined as the phone has enough juice to turn on and buzzes, buzzes and buzzes some more as each message makes itself known. Robert ignores the phone calls and messages that come from numbers he doesn't recognise. He then deletes the messages from people who managed to hunt him down at the store. He discovers a bunch of messages from Nico inviting him out to the casino and he shudders at the thought of going there, hating the surroundings and the people that frequent that end of town. By the time his phone stops buzzing and he has flicked through all the messages he wants to keep, he finds himself surprisingly disappointed that there isn't a message from Erica. Robert chastises himself for being disappointed, reminding himself that he might act like a teenager sometimes, but he definitely isn't one anymore. If he is honest with himself, Robert feels lonely. It is now close to midnight. It is way too late to text anyone. Fuck it. He'll text Erica. He doesn't really know what he is going to type. Has he become that guy? He doesn't want to be that guy, but maybe he is. Some sad fuck standing in his home alone with his faithful cat resting on his shoulder. Robert writes four or five text messages in a row, deleting all of them. Some are too upbeat, too forced, like a psychopath desperately attempting to fit in. He wants to ask Erica how she is, that he's been thinking of her, that he'd like to catch up again as adults and not drunken fools out on a weeknight, but they all feel disingenuous. He's not looking for a relationship with anyone. He wouldn't dream of inflicting himself on any person in that way. Not at this point in his life. Then again, Robert isn't convinced that Erica is that interested in him. Not in that way. Maybe. Possibly. He doesn't know. He doesn't have a read on the situation at all. A few more messages are written and all of them are deleted and without being sent again. He looks at the time and it is now past midnight. He can't send a message after midnight. With the passing of the seconds, Robert feels like he's in a movie where the bomb needs to be dismantled before the timer runs out. Finally, he takes the emotion out of it and writes, Hey, are you going with your sister into the store tomorrow? I'll be there too if you're coming by. Robert puts the phone down size and then nearly jumps through the ceiling when the phone buzzes with a message. Alfred jumps off his shoulder with fright gives his owner a look that suggests he's embarrassed for Robert and slinks off into another part of the house. Looking down at the phone, Robert sees there's a message from Erica. I wasn't going to, but sure, I'll come in. Have a good night. And then finishes it all off with a smiley face. He feels somewhat elated at her message, even if it reads as non-committal. Maybe she just wants to be friends. Friends are good. He likes the thought of that. Robert knows he's about to fall asleep. The bottle of red wine has done the job and taken the edge out of the day. He turns his phone onto silent and sets an alarm for 7.30am. This might be the earliest he's been up on a Saturday morning since he was a teenager. Robert walks up to his bedroom and takes off most of his clothes before rolling into bed, his body barely warming up the sheets as he sinks deep into the inky blackness of a drunken sleep. Thank you for joining us You're always welcome here Remember to avoid danger with strangers And never accept advice from mice We hope to see you again here soon Until then